0: Hello and welcome. My name's Karen O'Connor and this is Things That Make You Go. This is your podcast to help you make the most of the wisdom and experience that comes with getting that little bit older. Let's get right into it. Hello and welcome. It's a Ryan podcast again today. Hi. (laughs) So we were talking the other day and I said something I'd be interested in having a conversation about is the I don't know what you call it the maturity age of a society and how it compares to human development what's is there an actual technical term for this
1: you know what actually there probably is but I haven't come across it which means it's quite a specific like psychological thing but I think we all know what we mean. If I say that, for instance, a particular society is acting like a bunch of rabid, sugar-crazed kindergartners, whereas another society is acting a gaggle of preteen girls, I think we can get a very specific sense of precisely how that society is ordered. So I think the metaphor is there and it's intact and we should be able to understand that.
0: Yeah, that's exactly it because I do look at certain aspects of Society and go, oh, good God, can you just grow up? But then when you look at the society as a whole and what is acceptable or unacceptable within that society and where it's heading, then yeah, it just like the analogy of comparing it to human development for me is fairly apt because then I know where I stand.
1: Yeah, which is a great topic of conversation. It's something that I've been reading about really recently. Because some of the, a lot of the articles that I read talk about how we as creatures, as humans, have developed, right? So we have the animalistic urges that are the very core of our neurology. And then we've got the next level, which is the conscious urges, which we as an individual, you know, want specific things. Which is like security or a house and more like bigger things like a garden and whatnot. But then the next level is social stuff. That's the next level of human development. So it's quite frustrating, I think when we're aware of those levels, when a society acts on the conscious level of one of the levels before it. I said level a little bit too many times there, but we get what I'm going for. A society is supposed to be long planning, long-term planning, more thinking in terms of late stages and as a group rather than as an individual's needs, whereas the stages before that become more and more primal and more and more unique. So I think where the in immediate frustration comes, when you look at a society, and I'm not going to point any fingers, I'm not going to poke any sticks, but I will say when you look at a society that seems to believe that humans can operate independently of one another and everything's still going to be hunky-dory, you've missed the entire of human civilization as a whole. The big stories in anthropology, it circles around quite a few of the listeners may have heard of this, but there's this story about what it is that makes us human, right? What's the first sign of human civilization in archaeological studies? There's a whole discussion about it. Is it fire? Is it the oven for bread? Is it a village of more than so many people? Is it this? Is it that? And the answer that is finally settled on is that the first sign of human civilization, the idea that we can work together to become stronger than the immediate parts, is a healed. Because in order to splint a bone that large, you need, firstly, an an intimate knowledge of medicine. And secondly, you need to take care of someone who is fully incapable of doing anything for themselves for a solid three to six months. Because it's almost impossible to move or walk or hunt or gather on your own for that amount of time. Look at horses. For horse breaks, there's not much we can do. That's the metaphor for what it means to be human is to be able to care for each other in the long term without the hope of reward, simply because we care about each other. That's what civilization means from anthropological perspective. So I think all of us have an intimate understanding of that. There can be a lot of discussions about that. You can have a lot of debates. people can have a lot of opinions, but I think that basically and this is the difficult thing that some people have to wrap their heads around, is it's obviously the right thing to do. No ifs, ands, or buts. And if it's the obvious right thing to do, no matter how difficult it is, nothing will change the fact that's the right way to be as a society. right? And people can be like, oh, but this and free economy that, and we should be doing this and monopolies are good for us because of this. But ultimately, any society that is based on individualism is as primitive as a
0: kindergartner (laughs) that's my feeling too i watch and i've said this a few times when i was talking to people about conspiracy theories and everything because that ties in it seems like a really immature behavior to me and that whole conspiracy theory angle to me is all about manipulating people's fears
1: yeah it is
0: And I'm just trying to think of when this episode's going to come out. I was talking to a friend of mine in the Midwest of the US, and it will have been three episodes ago by the time this episode comes out, about her experiences living as a mother of a transgender. Her daughter's transitioned to becoming a man in the heart of, I can't think of another way to say it, Trump country. And she said the biggest thing that she's noticed is that people suddenly find in the last four, five, six years, it's okay for everybody to voice their prejudices and hatreds because there's no comeback from it. And to me, that's like a teenager that needs a good slap. Go to your room and have a think about your actions
1: Right. <laughs> That's one of the things that gets me because you do get, oh, it's my human right to state my opinion. Uh, we as a society should be able to do this because it allows this and blah, 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 blah. When the truth is obviously it is bad to be mean to people, it is good to be accepting of people. That's the basic fundamental truth here, guys. It's obvious too. Like you can argue with it, but it's kind of obvious. That's the truth of the matter it's just, it it gets me personally. It does get me. I quite like conspiracy theories, going back to that, because I feel like people who really put a lot of stock into conspiracy theories, and I'm talking proper conspiracy theories, not like theories about corruption in the government or theories about how this kind of big economic thing or social thing is being influenced by this, because sometimes that does happen. I'm talking like people are covering up a massive alien invasions by lizard people or whatever. That's like, I've met human people. I've met people, human people, and they're not that organized or competent or secretive, honestly, especially because a lot of these conspiracy theories have the army come in and do army stuff and guard things. And apparently all of these army people not going to tell their families and friends what's been going on and i've got to tell you i've dealt with the army in the past and individual soldiers and let me like they gossip so much everyone so much they love it (laughs) and people do in fairness that comes back to a civilization thing we have this sort of hyper consciousness and i don't say hyper as in more intelligent because as we are all aware the more people in a group the lower the intelligence of the individual in the group but like a hyper consciousness is a consciousness that is aware of threats to itself, to a larger kind of, of hive, if you will. And in order to maintain that, we need to exchange information as much as possible, which is why we've developed this instinct to to gossip, to gas bag, to, to chit-chat, to chin-wag, however many words there are, and there are a lot, for <laughs> just shooting the breeze. <laughs>
0: and causing creating connection because that's ultimately what it's about it's just about forging a connection but going back to that like the other aspect of that that you're talking about I remember when one of my relatives was probably about nine or ten and they were happily Tucking into all of these lollies, just shoving the lollies down their face and then bouncing around the room. And I said to them, oh, and then their mum was telling them off. That's right. I'm not telling this one. I might need to get my thoughts together. Their mum was telling them off. And they came over to me and they're bouncing away and everything. And I said, It's a really good excuse having those lollies because now you can blame your bad behavior on the lollies and not yourself, can't you? And they went, yeah. And to me, that's when I hear the conspiracy theories and even the 2020 election deniers, it seems like it's an excuse for poor behaviour. That's how it lands for me. As a mother of four.
1: Because Let, let's bring this conversation back to your initial statement, because if you're concerned about a society That's acting like a group of teenagers, you say, personally go younger than that. I've met teenagers and some of them can be quite mature. I'd be like 14-year-old boys in my experience. And I have extensive experience. So it's an all-boys school. 14-year-old boys have a very specific mentality because they're afraid of everything. They're absolutely ashamed of their bodies and what's going on with them. They have no confidence whatsoever and they have no idea. How to do literally anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to pump that all up is this a massive dose of testosterone, which tells them that they should and could do anything. So that's my kind of take on that. But we're, I think we're pointing specific fingers at specific social kind of concepts. And what's mm-hmm. your issue?
0: Oh, uh, my issue really, it's that. Mm. And I'm not just pointing to America here I see signs of it in the UK I see signs of it in Australia but there's a certain branch of politics society but I think it filters down from the politics does it or is it like is that a chicken and the egg thing where it's immature self-centered behavior that just wants to do an excuse to do what they want to do without having any responsibility and any consequences to their actions that's what's annoying me because you know I used to go through you when you did something or when you were thinking of doing something I'd say what is the impact going to have on other people and what do you think the consequences will be not just for you but for everybody else and are you going to be able to live with that
1: Sometimes it's just a good old yelling. But sometimes I watch some TV shows with kids in it and the kids, they're so rude. They're so rude in these shows. And and I'm I'm like, I would never have dared speak back to an adult like that. I never, ever would have ever dared to do that. Because sometimes you, you need to be yelled at as a child, as a teenager, or as a fully grown adult human being. It's a good question, isn't it? Because obviously, in the year 2022, when we are able to punt massive metal tubes through the sky and communicate instantaneously with a person on the other side of the planet, like you would think that we don't revert to Stone Age thinking, right? Where everyone's a hunter gatherer. And like I read that book about what it's like to be a Stone Age person and how our adaptations have gone haywire in the modern day. And yes, there are, I think, structural reasons, psychologically and physiologically for that happening. There are, but I also think that we, and I think you would have the same opinion, we as humans being conscious have the responsibility to be better than that, to make the choice that we should continue to grow despite the obvious temptation to to be a tantrum, having a little git. Basically,
0: I know as teenagers, one second you're really mature and responsible adults, and I go, Oh, that's great. I've done a good job. And then you open your mouth and you turn into a five year old again. And I'm like, Oh, and maybe that back and forth is just part of growing up, but there doesn't seem to be anybody there holding people to account. I think that's actually the issue. Nobody's calling people to account. And, oh, oh, and when I think about it, and when I think of like the Supreme Court in the US and what's happening with the January 6th committee, and I can't even read the news articles on that because they are so wishy-washy, like what the hell? Nobody is holding anybody to account. Nobody's actually doing anything. They're just talking about it.
1: Yeah, I had something I was going to say and it's just I've completely blanked because when you said that, I remembered that one of something that Martin Luther King said. He said that riot is rising is the language of change or something along those lines is the language of an unhappiness of community. And in this case, in things like this, I can understand why just talking about it is so frustrating. Because talking about it is their way of doing things. Then again, they stormed Capitol Hill. Like the heart of american democracy and not much happened
0: honestly. that's what i'm talking about there's been no consequences none They had
1: trials but that's like an actual literal attack that's so, a declaration of war
0: <laughs> let me ask you this if you'd trashed your bedroom the way that it happened on capitol hill <laughs> what do you think the consequences would have been do you think oh, I no. would have had a conversation with you about it?
1: I don't, I don't, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna one up this metaphor. If I'd strolled into the kitchen and taken your heavy bottom pans and then slapped them around the kitchen and used them to like deface the countertops and that, precisely what would have happened to me and how long would my life expectancy be? Because it wouldn't be very long, gotta tell you guys, it, it worries me.
0: It does me. But, I think that's actually at the heart of it. I think because and going back to the you were watching the children in the tv shows and everything I don't know whether you remember but I used to block the American channels Nickelodeon and Disney and the others because I couldn't and I still cannot watch the programs where the kids talk to the parents with zero respect Mm. I just can't
1: yeah it's I can see. One of the things that I was reading about that is relevant, and I'd like your thoughts on this, is that statistically, fun fact, there is a correlation between the more posts on social media posted and lower IQ. I phrased that wrong. But you can, okay, the lower the IQ, the more posts they have. The higher the IQ, the fewer posts. (laughs) My IQ must be through the roof at the moment then. I think it's the general kind of way that that was opinion pieces really, because it's just maths. The longer you take to think about your opinion, the longer it takes you to write a post. Uh, whereas if you just send out a, uh, an immediate spiel and you do that all the time, you're going to get heaps of opinion posts, which means that the average social media post is does not represent the opinions of the average IQ person. Mathematically, it's a bit lower than that. And you can follow that kind of logic. It means that the average opinion that you see on social media is from people who don't think their opinions through, which I think explains quite a lot. But it means that we are constantly exposed to unthought out opinions and just vitriol and garbage all the time. And there's more of us than is represented on social media, therefore, like who actually think through our opinions. But we all seem to think that we're isolated which is bad, because we are a community. And it leads to us thinking that we have no power, I think, because we're isolated. And it seems like everyone else in the world is an
0: idiot. <laughs> it, it does, isn't it? It's twofold. So it's that individualism makes you feel, on the one hand, really important, and at the same time, powerless. There's a, It's a real dichotomy, isn't it? That
1: It's a superiority problem.
0: Here's a question. How Hmm. much of the problems that we see in certain aspects of society are caused by the fact that as children and teenagers, people weren't held to account and didn't understand the consequences of their actions because to me when I'm parenting right even when you're getting told off yelled at screamed at or we have a conversation and we have many a conversation respect is a two-way thing you only get yelled at when all else has failed but you also know that respect has to go both ways that disrespect that is seen as being okay oh that's just what teenagers do no they don't no they don't That's what they're allowed to do because they think there's no consequences and that's what it's okay for them to do. So how does that impact society later as they get older?
1: Yeah, I have to say I'm of the same opinion about teenagers. I don't think they're naturally disrespectful. I think that people left to their own devices can be naturally disrespectful disrespect i don't think it's teenagers teenagers are let's not be unclear about this they are disaster magnets do not think through their decisions before they make them They, can't. they make,
0: to be fair so they can't. Yeah. that's the whole point it's like all of life's lessons are crammed into about four years and then you, your lessons become further and further apart but you've got to make all those horribly embarrassing mortifying absolutely crushing mistakes in those four years or so
1: Yes. And some of those will be disrespectful decisions. You need to make those decisions in order to find out that they're disrespectful. Yeah, It's just logic, really. But to continue to make those decisions shows that you haven't learned that lesson or that people haven't taught you that lesson. So can I answer your question with another question? Because it's something that I constantly wonder about, right? Because everyone's got their own circumstances, like their own kind of life reasons for being that way. They could have had had a really bad life and not been sheltered or all these kinds of things. Everyone's got their own kind of burdens and problems and sob stories. We're not being nice about it. But at what point do you hold someone accountable for the fact that they never became a conscious human being? Because a conscious human being looks at who they are and says, this isn't good enough. And how many people do you come across in the modern day who are like, I just, I don't care about people because I just, I just can't find it in my heart personally. I'm just, I just not like that. I'm a pretty selfish person naturally. And it's my cross to bear. So I'm just going to keep doing it basically. How many, honestly, I phrased that pretty funnily, but I am filled with an ungodly rage by how many people I meet who have that opinion of themselves. People, you can choose to care. It's as simple as that. And it hurts. It does. It hurts. People are terrible, (laughs) but so at what point do you hold people accountable for the fact that they never learned those lessons when they were kids? Because you're fully capable of learning them as an adult, aren't you? Mm. So that's my question. When do you start holding people accountable? Um, Because if you don't, you're treating them like an animal. they, They can't make that decision, but they obviously can.
0: They're humans too. Where does your question come from in terms of the person or in terms of the parenting? In terms of the
1: person, because <clears throat> I know that your perspective as a parent will be from a parent's perspective. But my question is from a person's perspective, having never been a, par- a parent. But also, I think that while the role of a parent is very important, it's not the only people that that child uh, is going to encounter in its life. Like, we're going to encounter all sorts of people. And as you're aware, that other people, because all four of your children had the same parents, we all encountered different people. And yes, there's a genetic aspect to our different personalities as well. But you can tell that the different people that we encountered had different impacts on our personalities. Siblings being quite a large part of that as well. But so that's no matter how good or bad, a parent is, their influence at some point ends over that child's personality. And when you're an adult, you can look back and say, my parent did a really good job and I learned a lot of lessons or they did a good job and I didn't learn enough lessons or they did a terrible job and I didn't learn enough lessons and now I should be better because that's where my question comes from is on the whole, I think parents do a pretty okay job of doing what they do and let's be honest that's because of a massive hormonal change like you have to completely uproot a person a a single human's personality in order to do that physiologically it does end at some point that influence so that's where that kind of comes from
0: I get it so it's more at which really you've got no excuse from the time you're in your early 20s no excuse because you've gone through your teenage years and you've had all of those very humiliating lessons in your teenage years and you there's any number of different ways you can go but if you cannot do enough navel gazing to go oh when i do that that <laughs> that doesn't work or i'm unhappy in this situation when i do this then you've got no excuse by that you've got your hormones to excuse your behavior and your teenagers as they start calming down there is zero excuse for you not to actually look at the situation and start to choose your behavior now it might take you several decades to actually get the hang of it but there's no excuse not to start
1: i think there's no excuse for a lack of good intention like you can make a bunch of mistakes along the way because you just don't know better but if your intention is to do good and you make a mistake, that's fine. It's part of the course. We all uh, do that.
0: Improve. <clears throat> if your intention is to grow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, yeah, good point.
0: Which brings it's, us to how many people want to grow? How many people do you see live in a life that they don't enjoy because that's what they're used to? Because
1: it's easier as well. It's easier. Like, people
0: don't like change. Yeah. And all of us, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody, as human beings, we want safety and certainty. Those are two of the key things, apart from the food, shelter, water, blah, blah. We want safety and certainty. We want to know what's going to be happening. And some of us find uncertainty easier to deal with than others.
1: It really does remind me of that book that I read, which is about our, our bodies being cavemen and our society being not designed for cavemen. And how that's a problem, because I went into this book, listeners, expecting that it would tell me all about physiological issues and and psychological issues and how we can overcome it. I did not expect or like it when it started to tell me that we would be better off if we went back to being cavemen, which was basically the moral of the story. And I should have seen it coming. And I didn't. Which book was this? I don't want to I don't want to gas bag it. So I've been avoiding giving the title but it's a hunter-gatherer's guide to the 21st century. It's written by a couple of evolutionary biologists. And quite a few of the things, quite a few of the things are really interesting very much. And quite a lot of it is filled with what is their opinion. And and I will say that because I went through all of their references and looked at all the studies that they mentioned, and they are opinions, guys. The studies were relevant for other facts, but the opinions that they gave are opinions. And they were opinions about Gender dichotomy in society and how we should preserve that sexual dimorph and gender identity, and how we should move away from using that as as an identification process. It was about one of the things they argued about. And, guys, this fills me with rage. And I'm going to tell you about it because I hope it fills you with rage. One of the things that they said is that, according to a particular American philosopher, and honestly, any American philosopher post 1840. Generally speaking, I don't think it's worth listening to. That's just my opinion and it's philosophy. So that's encouraged. Anyway, they said, according to this American philosopher, no society can reach total equality, which is arguable, but fine. But their argument was because of that, we shouldn't even try. We should just accept society is unequal and keep going with that. And I hate that. I hate it. I hate it with a burning, fiery passion, and I'm going to bring it up because it's relevant.
0: So, (laughs) why why does it fill you with a burning, fiery passion?
1: Oh, because, okay, good question. My disgust with this is summed up by this. These biologists who wrote the book treat us as animals, which is fine. We have the body of an animal. We are, however, conscious. We get the ability to make choices consciously right and we have that as both a massive advantage hashtag we've colonized the entire planet and also as an incredible responsibility we can imagine the future we can see the future no other animal can do that arguably (laughs) parrots are pretty good crows are pretty good but we can see with quite a lot of accuracy what's going to happen in the future and we can change that in the present we have an incredible responsibility to do the best that we can and pretending that we're just animals, is not good, everyone.
0: It's manipulative. That's how it is. That's how it lands for me. It's one of those childishly manipulative arguments to justify poor behaviour. And trust me, I've heard so many. But that's, I used to say to you lot, don't ever try and manipulate me, not ever. And that's how that lands for me. It's a manipulation, a justification for poor behaviour. Look, we've got all this historical, empirical research data that justifies what we're doing. But just forget all of that stuff. We'll just keep going with
1: this, this book. I do want to say has some really interesting stuff. It's got good points about how cultural knowledge is passed down through a society. It's got excellent points about how we process stimuli and how we digest food, how we sleep, all those kinds of things. Very, very Good stuff. And it's just brought down by the fact that I think as human beings, these people aren't the kind of people that I would ever want to share a cup of tea with. It fills me, sorry, it fills me with, so, I spent three days fuming about this book when I read it. It just, I had something that I wanted to say and I've forgotten about it now. What did you just say? Bring that up again because it was relevant. It was relevant to, to what you were saying.
0: It just. It's just an excuse to justify your poor behaviour was what I said. Was it that or was it something else? I think it was something else. Um, I was talking about it being manipulative.
1: Oh, it's gone. It's gone. It'll come back to me. Anyway, this book is fine.
0: You see, that, that was the other thing that came up for me then, because you went, yeah, but the book has some good points. That's part of the manipulation.
1: Okay. One of the reasons that it infuriates me so much is that it's got this whole bit about how we are opinion propelled. When we see something that has opinions in it that we don't like, even if it contains good facts, we throw the article out offhand because we don't like the opinions in it. And I was like, excuse me, that's rude. I'm going to finish this entire book and I'm going to rant about it to everyone and tell them that it has good points, but also tell them how much I hate it.
0: (laughs) See how manipulative it is?
1: I have spent... weeks, (laughs) weeks fuming about this book, everyone. (laughs) Because you're right. They manipulated me into doing that. And I made a conscious decision to to actively resist and play play into their manipulation. Because they were baiting me into throwing out that kind of thing forthwith. And I I was tempted to write a full essay on why I thought they were idiots and send it through to them. And I still might. I still might. If I had a free week, I probably would, because there's a lot there. One of the things that they complained about, and I think it is relevant to this, Mm -hmm. because it's about that kind of perspective in society thing, is in the chapter in which they were talking about how we should accept inequality in our society, which was a thinly veiled defence of the patriarchy. Uh, They were talking about how at the university that they worked at, a lot of, there was, I had to read a little bit between the lines to get this, but what I gathered was that the heads, the the council at the head of the university was dominated by men. And there were a few allegations raised against these men, possibly sexual in nature, that had some of them removed. Even though they were excellent academics, and had long helped the university in its fact finding endeavours, they were removed and replaced with people who were primarily women. Which got me because they were just complaining about how it's okay for society to be unfair and then complained about how unfair it was that we went in the other direction. Which I think is relevant to this discussion. (laughs) Because people who excuse their terrible behavior are then unhappy when they're treated terribly. Like the riots on Capitol Hill like quite a few of the things that I've seen have been them saying, oh, this is unfair, it's undemocratic, it's blah, 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 blah. You did an active declaration of war against the most powerful country on the planet. You're lucky you're alive. Can you imagine if that had been another country, if Canada had waltzed up to Capitol Hill?
0: (laughs) But they're not. That's the problem because there is no consequence for poor behaviour within that kind of society there's no it's, consequence and it's an immaturity thing yeah but I, I anyway let's it's... go back to the manipulation thing because that what you're saying about there there are good points in there that is exactly how conspiracy theories cults any of that kind of thing pull people in because they mm. go oh no this is actually quite reasonable and slowly they bring in more stuff that is actually completely against what you want, mm. what you believe in. But you're going, oh, yeah, but they said this good thing before. Maybe I need to go and think that I need to understand where they're coming from. It's pure manipulation.
1: It, it is. And listeners, if you do get this book, I know you might be tempted to read it because I told you how terrible it is. So I will give you this warning. You'll get about four chapters through and you'll be like, this is really interesting. Then you're going to get to a chapter about education and how bad it is for us as animals. And you're going to read that and you're going to think, obviously, we all knew this is not new information. And then you're going to start getting to the problematic chapters and then you can throw the book away.
0: So do they say our education system is broken or that we shouldn't be educated? They argue for,
1: honestly, it's difficult to tell at this point. It got a little bit wiggly. They, education is obviously good. But they do state that kids who are allowed to learn their own lessons, they put it that way, have a fairly high success rate of learning. One of the things they do point out is a study that was was run on kids who were supervised in the playground. Fun fact for you, student societies are fairer, more just and have justice systems in place when they're unsupervised. I know it's not our instinct, but it happens naturally. It's part of what makes humans. and it's not. Necessarily, again, fair, but it does exist. Those justice systems do take place. That's why there's always popular groups and groups of weirdos, because society naturally makes its own hierarchy and justice system. But that's fine. But they were saying, like, the stuff that I agreed with is obviously, if you cram 60 kids into a room for eight hours a day, five days a week, and tell them to memorize things, it's not going to be great for their development as people. I don't think that's a controversial point, everyone. And I'm not saying we shouldn't learn things. Really, we shouldn't. But I've got to say, I learned so much more at uni than I did at school because the learning environment was way better, even though structurally it remained almost identical. It was just about the amount of freedom that I had in order to learn.
0: But I was anyway. insane. I left yeah. school at 16 because I just could not hack it. But yeah. the minute I went, so I did failed my O-levels miserably, I had a, I think I had a year. I worked for six months, and then the following year, I went to college to do my O levels and my A levels, and it was fine, took off. Nobody was making me go. If I wanted to turn up, I'd turn up. If I wanted to hand the work in, I handed the work in. If I didn't, my problem. And I dealt much better in that environment because it was my choice.
1: Yeah, and in in general, one of the things they say in this chapter is that kids are built to learn, and they are built to learn. They're just knowledge-sucking machines. But people are built to learn. Like, kids have a mild advantage over adults, but the advantage that we think they have is much less than it actually is. We, as humans, are built to gather information and find patterns. Like, we're exceptionally good at it. We're so good at it. And we just don't use it. We are filtered into a job in which all of the facts that we ever come across are identical, day in and day out. And so we don't learn anything. And well, shockingly, that's bad for us. <laughs> but education is the way it is. And daycares is the way they are and universities the way they are and jobs the way they are. But because at this scale, we we can't need them to be that way in order to function as a society. And that makes a new problem. I'm not arguing that we should just go into anarchy. But it's no surprise to anyone that these things are bad for the animal that we inhabit.
0: Yeah, I'm just going on towards Yeah, sticking with the, oh, I don't know. Do I want to go there? I just wanted to talk about gun control and this debate over gun control. In the US, in Australia, we had that mass shooting when you were little. When was it? 97, 98?
1: I think it was 96, actually. But, yeah, go
0: on. And the government said, everybody hand in your guns. And we all did. (laughs) It's like in Australia. That was after one shooting, down in Hobart. It wasn't even in one of the big cities. It was outside of Hobart in Tasmania, which has got a population of what, maybe hundred thousand? Maybe. Then,
1: yeah, it would have been.
0: It was tiny, more. and it wasn't even in the centre of Hobart. It was on a little town outside of it, Hobart.
1: It's in Port Arthur, which is one of the old colonialist sites. That, I've been there. The population is practically zero.
0: <laughs> and I was going to say dense, but. <laughs> But this whole argument about gun control and uh, my right to carry a gun to defend myself, and I don't get it. I just cannot get my head around it because it seems the most immature aspect of everything that's going on.
1: What gets me about gun control is because hunting rifles are practically used for killing people you can, the shooting rate is quite low. And unless you're, you're hunting like elk, it's not gonna do a, a heck of a lot of damage unless you hit a really specific area on a person. But when you get like semi-automatic rifles, like they're built for one purpose and one purpose alone. They don't have another reason to exist. They are just to kill humans. Oh. Like even knives have a lot of uses other than just stabbing people. We use, I have so many knives in my house for various things. And it's because they're so useful. But guns, especially all the stuff, it, you saw them, you saw the pictures on Capitol Hill. You saw the guns they had. They were for killing people. That's what they, like. you wouldn't use that to, to hunt even elk. If you went up against a bear with a semi-automatic a machine gun, I would be concerned about your mental health. And if I'm concerned about your mental health and you have one of those things, we have a big problem. And even so, like the vitriol comes from this campaign. Like it's not even about taking away all the guns. Just get a license. We have to get a license to drive a car, which can do infinitely less damage. It, we, cars aren't built to kill people, but you need a license to drive that. Mental health certificates, constant updates for your license to ensure that you're licensed to have it. Control ammunition. That's what Switzerland does. They don't necessarily, I don't know too much about it, but I think they don't really do too much gun control itself, but they do control ammunition. But then again, I think national service is required for everyone. So you're trained properly. It's a militia situation, which is different than in the United States, where they have the right to bear arms. The amendment's so important, they added it third. I just, I don't get it. And it's about individualism, isn't it? I can't trust the government. I can only trust me. Deadly weapons belong in my hands because of reasons. Because I won't kill you if you don't try to kill me. But I'm going to have this gun in case you try to kill me with a weapon identical to the one that I'm going to kill you with if you try to kill me with your weapon.
0: It's Very so immature. Much. Like to me, I don't get it because it's really childish.
1: I don't get it. If you want to defend your home, a gun is not the way, is, is, a gun is not going to help. In fact, statistically, guns cause more harm to their owners than they do to home invaders. More people were killed by two-year-olds in the United States than home invaders were killed by guns, I think, in 2019. Because if you've got a gun lying around, especially if it's loaded, you idiots, and a two-year-old gets to it,
0: (laughs) you're screwed. (laughs) And then what have you done to that child? I remember you asking me when we moved onto a big parcel, ish parcel of land back in 2014,
1: mm. and you said, oh,
0: we need to get a gun, Mum. Ryan had been in the Army Cadets, so he knew how to shoot, and I'm like, we're not getting a gun. We're not having a gun. I'd been there about six months, <laughs> seeing all the rabbits and the feral everything. I'm like, we need a gun. <laughs>
1: I, I had wild dreams about making rabbit stew and things like that. What? Not aware of the myxomatosis problem, everyone. Don't eat wild rabbits.
0: <laughs> yeah. So we kind of gone round in a big circle now, haven't we? Where are we going with this now?
1: Let's bring it back to the original topic question, which is why are societies childish or are societies childish? What's the reason that we think that? Because my initial answer was I think. That children are measured on the fact that they don't yet think of themselves as the same as everyone else. They don't have a filter in their brain that distinguishes other people as specific objects that have their own mind inside them. They just think that they're objects. Whereas when you get older, you do realize that other people have the same thoughts and emotions as you. And in doing so, you develop compassion. So the childish society is one that doesn't have compassion amongst
0: itself. Yeah, I suppose so. I'd put it slightly differently in that I'd say it was more to do with, it's actually more to do with consequences and impact. Because if you've never been taught the consequence that every single action of yours has a consequence, not just on you, but on everybody around you, and on events, and everything else, and you don't know what the impact of that is. What is the impact going to be on yourself and everybody else? And it's it, that's slightly different to consequences. The, the impact is a long-term thing. Consequences are immediate. You are not able. It's the ability to see those two things that dictates maturity. Yeah, and that's the missing. Because if you're only thinking about, I want to do this, I want to to go here, I want to do that, I want to do the other, this is what I want to do, and I'm right to do this. If there's no forward thought, then that puts you at the level of a three or four-year-old who sees all the baubles on the Christmas tree and one by one smashes them until they're all gone. And then gets upset because they've all gone. (laughs) Think about the consequences.
1: Yeah. So a mature society. Would filter the decisions that they make through the kind of the question of what's the consequences and impacts rather than what do I want for an individual.
0: If you'd be yeah. a, a rubbish chess player, and I am actually no good at chess. I'm
1: quite good at chess. <laughs>
0: Fine. That's what that's all about. Mapping out your actions, looking at the consequences. What's going to happen if I do this? Inability to do that leads to this kind of behavior. And it could be don't get me wrong this could be that some people are just so selfish and so narcissistic that they really could not give two hoots about it and Mm. there's quite a lot of them in politics let's face facts and at the top ceos of companies there's a lot of them but there's not that excuse for 99 of people
1: no there's not (laughs)
0: That's just my humble opinion. And uh, I do want to yeah. slap various aspects of society right now.
1: Yeah. The moral of the story, and that's the issue. We can't just slap people and make them do better. If only we could. Things would be a lot simpler. But we can't. So, what, so I think what should, we should end on is what we should be doing to try to combat that, I think what do you think?
0: I think all you can do is be the example you want them to be that's all you can do because otherwise you're just behaving badly as well so it was like whenever you lot did something and to be fair there were a fair few times where I completely lost it (laughs) totally lost it (laughs) you look like you got a crown coming out of your head at the moment
1: (laughs) it's my life
0: I was looking at you going, he's got a princess crown on, or maybe it's a spaceman's helmet beaming you up. I don't know. It's a lie. Yeah, we can only be an example of behavior. That's all we can be. And it's going to take a long time and there's going to be a lot of setbacks. But that's all we can do is not allow ourselves to be dragged down to that level. But one thing we have to stop doing, have to stop doing, is giving up on consequences. So all of this baloney about the January 6th committee, actually take some action. Stop pussyfooting round and be politic about this and just explain what the consequences are. Riot. <laughs> it's just, I think that's what I don't like, that inability that is in politics to actually go, and even in legal circles, to actually go, no, here's the line. Here's the line. You cross the line.
1: Yeah. It's frustrating that dictatorships don't work because it's practically the only way to get things done. (laughs) Really. It's extremely frustrating that they don't work. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah. Committees don't work.
1: The political ideal that I've landed on is that bad people want to remain in power. And in my experience, good people tend not to want to remain in power. They want to be left alone to their own devices so they can have a garden or whatever. What we should do is, as often as possible, rotate the people in power. Do not keep people in, or parties, or organisations, in power for very long. You, You want them to rise and then fall, because that encourages them to not just think about how they can personally gain from this, because they'll only gain in the short term.
0: In Malaysia... They, I think there's seven states, and somebody might want to correct me on this, but I think there's seven states. And the king, prince, queen, or whatever of each state takes it in turns to be king of the country or queen for seven years, Hmm. and then they swap. (laughs) See? (laughs) But this business of um, a lifetime position of power in government, in the judicial system, whatever, needs to go. That needs to go.
1: That's not good. That's bad. I mean, I could see why it would work with a monarch, because you're raised and educated for a specific purpose. And I would like to point out it mostly didn't work. It sometimes worked, but it mostly didn't work. But lifetime positions in places of power are just a bad idea. Yeah, really a bad, bad idea. I mean, I personally love the idea of whoever's in charge of a given country has to sell all of their assets when they get into office. And then when they finish that, like the, so they're valued at the start. And then if the economy grows over that time and the average wealth increases, then their wealth increases. But if it goes down, their wealth goes down.
0: Yeah, I like that. It's harsh,
1: but I think it would work. (laughs) My (laughs) little to no knowledge of economic policy says that I think that would be really good.
0: Give people an incentive, wouldn't it, for sure?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And I I don't necessarily think that writing is the answer, but the death of change is indifference. And that's the problem. The problem is indifference. People who sit down and say, we we individually are not going to make a difference to this. But look at the popular, like how many people live in America? It's a ridiculous number. It's
0: 350 several, million or something. 350 million.
1: That's so many people. That's way too many people. Imagine if just a third of them at the same time protest. protested. It's just a third of them. One, one in three people at the same time refused to do work for two hours. You don't even need to march on the street. Just refuse to do work for two hours. They would repeal that law instantly. You can't fight against that kind of numbers, but everyone seems to think that they won't make a difference. And it's true if you are alone. But the more people are like, I might not make a difference, but I will anyway. Try, that is. The more people think that way, the more difference we're going to make. Guys, it's maths. So that's what I think.
0: It's that old Indian proverb, is it? with well, the Indians walking along the beach and there's been loads of starfish washing, washed up and yeah. he's picking one up and throwing them back. And the guy, said, the guy with him said, but look at all these starfish. You can't make mm-hmm. a difference. And he picks one up and throws it and says, so made a difference to that one. It's that analogy.
1: Yeah. You just, you've got to gotta do it anyway. Even if you lose, you've got to do it
0: anyway. You just keep going. Get, stand up yeah. or be what is important to you. It's not even stand up for it. It's be what is important to you. Yeah. God, we got on our moral soapbox then, but I finished up. Really they did. Here. I know. Yeah. Great.
1: Let's let call it there. It's been about an hour now. I think.
0: <laughs> these are usually these are what our phone calls are usually like: <laughs> soapboxy and just we put the world to rights, which is a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. And look, people can poke sticks at it. You could be like, oh, it wouldn't work for this reason. It wouldn't work for that reason. But I remind you, despite all of your reasons, the obvious truth is we should all just be good people. (laughs) And that's all we're arguing for, really. That is all we're arguing for. You can argue against or for gun control as much as you like, but which one is better for a population rather than an individual? That's all it is.
0: Thanks, Ryan. (laughs) And (laughs)
1: seen.
0: Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted and rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends, please. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you're leaving with some great ideas that can make a difference in your everyday life. Until next time.